This morning, I want to kind of continue what we began yesterday. Yesterday was about learning more, and, and I'm not the expert, but I wanted to explore with those who came to the session about what it means to, to help the poor without hurting them. And, and so often, as you have seen in, in your own community, as you went through the, the after Katrina phase, that there was a lot of help that was given, and a lot of it was really good help, but it also can have a way of, of, of not doing good things in certain people. And sometimes when we try to help someone, we can create unhealthy dependencies and, and unhealthy relationships and remove their desire to work and to, to glorify God by, design, by God's design. And a lot of unhealthy things can come from that. But the question that I want to ask us as a congregation today is this. Why should we care? Why, why, why should we care that 2.6 billion people in the world live on less than $2 a day? Why should we care that almost a billion people, many of them children, will go to bed hungry tonight? Why should we care? Why should we care that six, in, in Liberia there is a 65% illiteracy rate and an 85% unemployment rate and life expectancy is only 45 years? Why should we care? Why should we care that after their, during their 14-year civil war that they came out of about six or seven years ago? Why should we care that 70% of the combatants were boys between the ages of 6 and 19? Why should we care that in that 14 years of civil war that 250,000 people were killed and virtually everyone else who lived there was greatly affected. There was massive rape and ritualistic cannibalism. Why should we care? 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk but in deed and in truth. Verse 16, we want to first look at the, the basis for loving others. The basis for loving others. Again, I want to read verse 16. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So the basis for God's command that we love our neighbors as ourselves. It is rooted in the fact that Christ has first loved us. He has made us 
after we've become born again, after we have entered into a relationship with Christ, He has given us the capacity, because of Christ dwelling in us, to truly love others as He has loved us. By this we know love that He laid His life down for us. When we think about the love of Christ, we we think about Him laying His life down, that the very Son of God, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, left His place in glory where He had everything just right. And He entered into our world where there's brokenness and abuse and where He would be rejected and spat upon and beat with rods and rejected and denied by His friend and betrayed by another, that He left glory and entered into that and into his death, and he did it voluntarily. The scriptures tell us that he willingly laid his life down for us. So when we want to think about love, uh, yes, where are you going to go to get a definition for love except the very love of Christ himself? Self-sacrificing, ultimate, greater love has no man than this than he lay down his life for his friends. Self-sacrificing, absolute, ultimate, personal, personal. By this we know love that he laid down his life for who? Us. God laid down his life for me. He entered death for me. What love is that? Also, we see clearly the love of Christ, not only in his death, but also in his life. I want you to turn over with me to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 7. And in Luke chapter 7, there's a marvelous passage, a marvelous story about Jesus' encounter with the woman who's called the widow of Nain. I want to read this to you, and then I'll just make, a, make a, just a few comments. But again, what we're looking at is, you know, we, it, it, we, we get the love of Christ that's seen in his death. But let's look again at the love of Christ that's seen in his life. Soon afterwards, he went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As, as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man had, had died and was being carried out. So there's a funeral procession going out of the town, meeting at the gate. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and, and said to her, do not weep. I'm going to just stop there for a second. Let's envision this. So there's this crowd of people coming along with Jesus, traveling along with him, being awed by his teaching, being wowed by his miracles, and they are just they're, they're enthralled by this by this, this this new teacher on the block. And so they're coming into this new village, and and, and there's here's another crowd coming out, and, and the picture is probably it, because a funeral is even in our day. 
cars pull over to the side right out of respect. So the picture is probably the crowd with Jesus kind of parts and, and this group starts moving through the crowd almost as a parade and coming through and everybody's watching and, and, and the scripture tells us that, that Jesus saw. He, he didn't just see the casket, but who did he see? He saw the widow. He saw the woman. And her problems were huge. In that society, um, having a, um, a husband would be a, um, a, a, a big issue but financially and in giving you position in the community. And if you didn't have a, a husband, you at least wanted to have an oldest son who could kind of look over things and watch over and be the male representation for the family. But now she's a widow, no longer having a husband, and who has just died? Her only son. So when Jesus looks at her, the Scripture tells us that He was moved with compassion toward her. But he does something really strange. As, as, the, as she comes by, he goes up to her and he speaks some words to her. Very strange words to speak at a funeral. Especially to the grieving mother. Do not weep. I mean, from our perspective, that sounds so callous. How can you tell someone not to weep? Of course, Jesus knew the rest of the story. He knew what he was about to do. It was just a little nugget of hope as he walked past her and walked on to the, to the, the casket being carried upon the shoulders of, the, the, of, of friends. And, and, and the Holy One touches the casket. You don't do that. To touch something that is dead is to be defiled, but he did it. And he spoke. Let's look at what happens. Verse 14, then he came up and touched the bier, and the bear stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. Pause, silence. The people there are going, what in the world? And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. What a glorious picture of the love of Christ. He had eyes to see the hurting woman. His heart was moved with compassion, but it didn't stop with sympathy. He had the ability to bring help, healing, even death to life, and he did it. And he brought and presented the son to his mother. In the next passage, um, just below that, is the story of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was imprisoned at the time. And John the Baptist is, um, knows that things aren't going to look real good for him. And he's thinking about Jesus. And, and for some reason, there starts to become questions in his own mind. Is Jesus really the guy? Is he really the Messiah? So he sends his disciples, John the Baptist sends his disciples to Jesus to ask him a question. And the question for him that, that he wants answered is, are you the one? And how Jesus answers them is very important for us to see 
as we think about ministering to the poor. Look at what he says in verse uh, 22 of, of chapter 7. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. Wow. You see, when, when Jesus came, the prophecies of Isaiah and the other prophecies, everything has been building up that, that one day a new king will come. One day someone was going to come of God's appointed, God's Messiah was going to come, and he was going to start to make things right. He was going to establish a new rule on earth. And He was going to take the broken things and start to put them back together again. So if Jesus had only come to earth proclaiming the gospel in which, and in how that we can go to heaven, if all He had done was to come and give us tickets to heaven, He would be so um, coming short of what the prophecies of Scripture were about. It was about a king coming to establish a new kingdom on earth. That's why Jesus says, today these things are fulfilled among you. The kingdom has come with the coming of Christ the King. Oh, it's not yet in all of its fullness. It wasn't in Christ's life, and it's certainly not yet today either. But the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, right? It starts small, and it grows and it captures one person's heart at a time, and the lordship and the kingship of Christ comes, and He transforms us, and He takes things that are broken in our own hearts and begins to bring healing back together again. Healing from the deeper core of our very being. Taking long-standing bitterness and enabling us to forgive. Enabling us to Love as Christ loved us. So Jesus, when we think about His great love, we, we think about His love of, at, at, at demonstrated in His death, but also in His life. A love that He wanted John to, to know. A love that included both word ministry, the good news is preached to the poor, but it's also deed ministry. The, the, the lame are walking again. The blind can see. The deaf can hear. The dead are being raised. That's proof that He is the one, the true King, the Messiah, the one that they've all been waiting for. Um, in chapter 9, Jesus sends out the, um, the 12. And when He sends them out, He gives them this word. He says, Preach the kingdom of God and heal the sick. Preach the kingdom of God and heal the sick. Word ministry, deed ministry. They both go hand in hand. If you're just about talk and you don't care about hurting people, don't even pretend to think that the love of Christ is in you. They both go hand in hand. In fact, the demonstration of love gives validation to the truth of the transforming power of the gospel. But to just go out and preach, but not to go out and love, is empty. Why would the watching world believe us 
if we don't care about them. So Jesus came in power, healing and proclaiming. Both go hand in hand, one validating the other. Preach the kingdom of God. Heal the sick. The second thing we see in, back in, in 1 John is the exhortation to love. That we are, um, brothers, you ought to lay down, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Laying down our lives. So, so as Christ had laid down his life for us, the exhortation that comes for John from the Holy Spirit, from, from God, God tells us we ought to also, in the same way, lay our lives down for others. And that's going to be a sacrificial love. It's going to cost me something. I can't just stay in my comfort zone. I'm going to have to step out of that. It's going to cost me something to really be able to love others, to love others as Christ has loved others. It's going to have to be in deed and in truth both to be a love like Christ's love. And it's going to have to be personal because he laid his life down for us. I, loving others is not an emotional feeling that, oh yeah, I love everybody in the whole world. Yeah, I love everybody. I just love them. No. He laid down his life for us, so we must lay down our lives for real people. Um, that's what love is. A little clarification comes in verse 18. Little children, let us not love in word or deed, word or talk, but in deed and truth. It's necessary. Both go hand in hand. The third thing that we see from this passage in verse 17, let's look at that. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? So John, moved by the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit, as he's writing these words to real people, and, and he, he finds it just preposterous, unbelievable, that there could be people who, who say that they love God, who say they're followers of God, and don't care for their hurting brothers enough that if they have what is needed, that they're unwilling to give it to the person who needs it. They, he just finds that preposterous. He says, how can the love of God be in you? That's just crazy. Why is it so crazy? What do the rest of Scriptures tell us about what happens when we enter into a relationship with Christ? If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. All, behold, all things have become new. When, we, when God gets hold of us, we are born again. We move from death to life, darkness to light, 
everything changes. And why shouldn't everything change? One day, we do not have God dwelling inside of us. And the next day, having entered into a relationship with Christ, God himself dwells in us. We are the very temple, what does the scripture tell us? Of the Holy Spirit. He lives in me. And so to, 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 to not love, uh, to not let Christ love out of us is preposterous. Galatians 2.20, Paul is writing and he says, I have been crucified with Christ and yet I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Wow. He got it. It's not about me becoming a better person. It's not about me working real hard to love other people. It's about me letting the Christ who dwells in me love others through me. When we step out this door and we walk and we, we, we go about our day and we go about seeing people out there, it's not just you going out. Christ lives in you. He goes out where you go, wherever your feet goes, He goes. And He has things He wants to say to the people that you're standing in front of. He has things He wants to do for the people that you're standing in front of. So often in Christianity we get so, not in Christianity, but so often in our lives, we get so wrapped up in maybe just building our little kingdoms, our little worlds of chasing our little dreams and trying to make it feel significant that we forget that we are a part of a much greater kingdom, His kingdom. And He has a purpose for us. Some of you in this room, you're, you're, you're beat down because you feel like my life just doesn't have much meaning. Maybe part of that is that you, you've lost sight of the reality that God dwells in you and He's got a mission for you. Whether it's going to school and, and talking with that girl who nobody else will talk to, being friends to someone who needs a friend, being a, giving a helping hand to someone who really needs a helping hand. Or a loaf of bread. Christ dwells in you, so we go out. As when we go out, we go out with Him in us. When I tell people that I um, recently resigned, it was actually last July that I resigned effectively, effective um, about three weeks ago, two weeks ago. Um, when I tell people that I resigned from a um, a good paying. Um, pastorate in a church that um, is in a very comfortable community that um, still loved me and who the session were, a pleasant, were pleasant to work with and with a great group of deacons who were hardworking and um, that I'm resigned from all that to, so that I could go and, and, and work in the third poorest country in the world that is recovering from a civil war 
and quite honestly could break into another civil war very quickly. People look at me and there's either a look of admiration, kind of like, oh. Or it's a look, uh, a look of, oh, you are such an idiot. One or the other. I haven't figured out exactly which one it is. It's, it's, it's like they just don't get it. And, and honestly, I don't get it that they don't get it. I guess it was about 28 years ago in this church. Um, my wife and I were sitting somewhere out there and it was the close of the mission conference. And, and, and the call went out of anybody who wants to um, say publicly that they are willing to do whatever God wants them to do and, and be open, even going to the mission field. If you're willing to come forward and say that, um, we want to invite you to make a public commitment. So, so at the foot of this pulpit, 28 years ago, I, I settled that issue. As Sherry and I came down and we said, we're going to do whatever God wants us to do. Anything short of that is not really letting God be the Lord of your life. So I, I, we really didn't see any other option but just to throw ourselves before him and say, of course, we're willing to do whatever you want us to do. Soon after that, we, of course, went to Liberia for the first time and had a mer the marvelous experience of, of, of teaching at the, at the African Bible College. And it's kind of been the story of our life. At, at times, much to my wife's, um, oh, brother, here we go again. I was sure. We, we knocked on the doors. We made that commitment. We knocked on the doors, and, and Jack Chinchin in, in Liberia, the Bible college, said, yes, come. Well, a, a couple months later, we, we turned up pregnant. Well, I thought, and Sherry really thought, here's our out. So we wrote Jack Chinchin and said, yeah, you know, we, we're still willing to come, but we just wanted you to know that we've got this new, we'll have this newborn baby, and, and we, we, don't, we know that that probably will be a big inconvenience to the ministry, and if we need to change our plans, we'll certainly understand. <laughs> and Jack Chinchin writes back and says something like, well, that's great, we have... I don't know how many children. They have seven children, and so-and-so has six children. Other people have five children. You'll just fill it home here. All right, Lord, so we'll go. Out of, coming out of seminary after, after ABC, um, we came back to RTS Jackson, and um, there were churches that were interested in hiring us, um, but the one we really felt called to was to move to Florida and start a church and, um, in a place where we didn't know anybody. Um, so we, all we had was a vision and a strong sense of God's call that this is what we were supposed to do. But because we had made a commitment here that God, we'll, we're willing to do anything, we, 
and we felt like that's what he was calling us to do. How can you not do it, right? Eight years later, the, the church was established and in the first building, and I started getting these restless feelings again, and, and it was like, um, you know, is this of the, of the flesh or of the spirit? Am I just bored with life? And something not good going on in my own heart? Or, or is God moving again in, in my heart? And so we prayed for upwards to a year and talked with some wise counselors. And, and the, the message that came back is we need to be open to doing it again. And we took a drive up through Jacksonville or this particular area of Jacksonville. And, and, and immediately my, my heart just leaped onto that area. And when I'd go back to, to Central Florida, it was, I was still thinking about up there and so it was an obvious sense of God's call and so we had made a commitment that we're going to do what God wants us to do we had settled that issue so so we went up to Jacksonville and been there for the last 14 years and God has been it was pleased to to use even us in a to, to raise up a church there a healthy church a good church and um, for the last four or five years I've been going back to Liberia and and as I would come back to um, give my reports to the church, um, um, I guess there was a certain glimmer in my eyes. So when I announced last July that I was going to be moving on to, to focus again in Liberia, people were um, shocked but not surprised. I, I tell you that little story just to say this. That's just not for your preachers. That's what it is to walk with Christ. That's what it is to be a follower of Christ. We go where He leads. Whether it's to another country or whether it's to a poor community around back or to whatever group God might be calling you to love on. Because that is the, the essence of Christianity is that, that, the, that God has entered us and we are His church. We are the body of Christ. We are the hands and feet of Christ. We are the ones as we go out, Christ goes out. And we all have a mission to love in word and indeed, both, hand in hand. So what about you? At, um, next weekend starts your missions conference, right? Where's your heart? How are you and God doing these days? Really? Is it a really about your kingdom? Is that what you're living for? Is that what you're most interested in? Is how you can figure out how your life can become more comfortable and less stressful and less chaotic? Or is it about his kingdom? I want to move where God wants me to move and love where God wants me to love. You see, there's a settling that has to happen in our hearts. A decision that has to be made. Are you all in?
And there's no other place to be. You know, God has been incredibly patient and gracious to me. Every day I need the forgiveness of Christ. Um, I opted not to make the sermon about my failures. And that one would last way too long. But the truth is, is that there is no way to really live. Abundant life comes in walking in a deep relationship with God and being all about His kingdom instead of your own. I pray that if you're not there, that you'll trust God enough to say, God, get me there. Help me get there. Because I really do want to be about the things of eternal value and not the things of temporal value. Let me pray for you. Merciful Father, God of grace, thank you so much for your love for us. And God, we're thankful that you have taken up residence in us so that, that we can do, um, can, we can live in your counterculture, that we can love unlovely people, that we can love past being burnt and rejected or taken advantage of. That we can, have with, with Christ in us, we can, can see genuine needs and have our hearts moved with compassion and know best how to go about loving others without hurting. So God, we offer ourselves to you. Fill us full of faith. And Lord, if there are those here today that, that um, have not yet entered into this relationship with Christ where you have come as king of their hearts, Lord, I pray that that even today could be the day when they say, enough. I'm tired of being my own king. I'm making a mess of my life. I want to live for the king who laid down his life for me. Come and work, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen.